Hi everyone, this is Janice, your neighborhood nutritionist. I've spent the last couple of years helping busy office professionals upgrade their health through upgrading their nutrition. And one thing was very obvious. Nobody's got time to read up on all the scientific stuff to know fact from fiction. So each week, I will talk to you about a different topic or concept in nutrition in simple, everyday terms, so you are empowered to make the best nutritional decisions. Get ready to learn about some new stuff, gain new insights into old concepts, and super boost your health. Hey, so everyone, today I have the pleasure of having Dr. Sheila with me, and we're going to talk a bit about pelvic health, something that admittedly I know very little about. So Dr. Sheila, welcome to my podcast, and thank you so much for being here today. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So let's, let's, let's get right into it, right? So first of all, I'd really like to ask you how you got into pelvic health. You know, is this a personal experience or did you just see too many people suffering from this? A very good question. I have been a physical therapist, so I have a doctorate in physical therapy. Um, and I have been a physical therapist for a very long time, but probably about 12 years ago, um, when I was working at an outpatient clinic, uh, there was a very large need for pelvic health therapists. There actually were none. <laughs> we had one that came in on occasion, so there were none. So that was a need that was open. And I had already been doing a specialty in uh, women's work. So I was doing oncology and breast cancer and lymphedema. Mm. So from there, um, I said, well, let me just keep on going with women and keep it rolling. And that's how I did start to do the training for uh, pelvic health therapy. And mm. it's, uh, you know, several courses, a lot of practice, a lot of, uh, you know, background work. But that's basically in a nutshell how I became a pelvic health physical therapist. And I've got to ask, right? Again, I told you, admittedly, I know very little about this area, maybe because of my age. I don't know. But um, what does pelvic health include? Like, what what is the pelvic region? Yeah, I get this question a lot because uh, um, what we do is almost a mystery, which is why everybody's like, you, they don't even know they need pelvic health until maybe their physician or someone refers mm. them. But uh, pelvic health physical therapy, it, um, it encompasses a lot of things. But if you think about the area between your belly button and probably um, upper thigh, anything that goes um, awry in that area, we can work with. And I'll give you some examples. So uh, we work with constipation. Not, um, it's not age-related. A lot of people do have constipation. We work with uh, urinary incontinence, which is what I do now as a coach. I do um, uh, urinary incontinence, helping women to reduce and eliminate. And we can talk about that later. Uh, pelvic pain, pain with intercourse, abdominal pain problems that, um, any difficulties that women might have after childbirth or after surgeries, even after certain, um, oncology slash cancer treatments, um, mm -hmm. sometimes with radiation, you will have issues, um, with the tissues and we can help with that. 
So as you can see, it's the, and that's not even it. There's mm. more, you know, you know, say, and there's more, but that's the gist of uh, basically what we do. I see. So I want to, I want to actually, I love debunking misconceptions and myths. Can you talk us through, I guess, some of the things that we think are normal and that they are not actually normal? So for example, you know, you were mentioning some of the symptoms and I know that, you know, having previously connected with you as well, for example, um, having a little bit of pee come out when you sneeze. I know that a lot of women, especially after giving birth, it's almost a rite of passage that they expect it to happen. Or maybe with age, you know, you see these brands selling, I don't know what, what you, you guys call them in, in America, but here we've got a brand called Tenor Ladies and they're basically like sanitary napkins, but for incontinence. Yes, we have. Um, mm-hmm. And it almost feels like we should expect these things to happen. So can you help us demystify these a little bit? Yes. Um, and that is um, very, the interesting thing about how this has progressed because with incontinence, especially when I was um, in the clinic, and I'll just preface this by saying, I don't go into the clinic to do physical therapy treatments anymore. I have taken coaching certifications to um, uh, augment my physical therapy experience. So now I do, I have developed a online coaching program that helps women to reduce and eliminate their bladder leaks. I'll say that. But in the clinic, it would take, when we're doing the histories, because of course you always do a very good um, history to find out what was going on. Women waited an average of maybe five, six years before they actually sought help for bladder leaks. The longer you have them, the uh, longer it might take to get rid of them. So for whatever reason, and I'm not quite sure, and I think maybe because it happens and it's so common, but it does, it's not um, anything that um, can change the way you go on about your daily activities because they have so many pads, diapers, et cetera, et cetera. But um, for whatever reason, women think that if you leak a little when you cough or sneeze or even exercise, that it's okay. Mm. And um, it's actually not okay um, unless you have some neurological or some you know, kind of... Um, reason why it is happening. But for the most part, it usually happens because something is going on with the muscles of the pelvic floor. Mm. Um, So uh, women take a long time and they're in denial for whatever reason on this urinary incontinence. I have had women come into the clinic and they come into the clinic for different things. So you can come in and um, you've had uh, pelvic pain or you had pain with intercourse or whatever. But during the history it also comes out that you have leakage when you're coughing or sneezing. And, you know, I'll bring that up after we've done the, the uh, eval. I'll bring that up. Oh, I see that you have um, a little bit of urinary incontinence. You have some leakage. Oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't have that. Like, but you wrote right here <laughs> that you have a little bit of uh, leakage when you cough or sneeze. Yeah, but that's not um, bladder leaks or urinary incontinence or anything. That's just mm-hmm. a little leakage. Okay. I mean, we're not meant to leak full stop. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not meant to leak. So, uh, and I just, you know, I almost have to convince them 
that what mm. this means is that you do have some leakage and there's something that we can um, certainly address. You can address, if you have uh, bladder leaks and they are of uh, no known cause, say for example, you don't have a, a neurology, you know, Parkinson's, MS, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the cure rate is really high. It's really high. It's in the nineties if you do what you're supposed to do. So, mm. um, but you also had mentioned pregnancy. So leakage during pregnancy is very normal. That's just mm-hmm. pressure of the baby on your bladder. If your baby is growing the way it should, fabulous. So um, yeah, that's actually normal. Uh, what is not normal if three to six months later, you still have leakage. Mm-hmm. Then it's something that you really should um, really consult your doctor or find someone um, who works with that realm and mm-hmm. get help for that. So I feel like I might already know the answer to this, but are there factors that make people more prone to it? So apart from the obvious, you know, pregnancy and all of these things. So for example, our age, our, you know, our sex, mm-hmm. our lifestyle, are there other factors that impact this? Yeah. So menopause is a big, a big one. Mm. Um, menopause and perimenopause. So women will start to um, notice differences in perimenopause, which actually happens in the transition starts in your Mm forties. So it's not as late as you think it is Mm -hmm. (laughs) because forties will creep up on you really fast. So uh, it's um, right in that area where you start to have your decline of estrogen Mm -hmm. Your decline of estrogen begins to change the way your muscles function if you don't do regular exercises uh, for the area, which many women don't, or Mm. many women try to, but they're not the correct way to do them. I'll I'll ask about that in a minute. Yeah, that is actually the key is how to do Mm. them. So uh, yeah, those are the main things for men, because of course there's men's pelvic health too. They have a pelvis Mm -hmm. and it's thing but their issue is usually due to uh, prostate issues okay it's more common in women you know three quarters of women a quarter are men mm-hmm. and um when we talk about diagnosis you know i'm sure a lot of people want to know like you mentioned before what's normal what's not and i always have to remind people just because it happens to everybody doesn't mean it's a, the right thing to happen like just because it's normal doesn't mean it's right I think people need to remember that. Um, And so when you talk about diagnosis, when you see people and they say that, you know, they've got some leakage, is there a certain threshold where, you know, you confirm, right, now you are diagnosed to have incontinence or is any leakage a problem? Um, Any leakage that occurs on a regular basis is a problem. So okay. if you are leaking every time you cough or sneeze or mm-hmm. in exercise, it's a problem. Okay. If uh, you can't, if it's, you know, once every whatever, because some people uh, will have a full bladder, you know, if your bladder's full and you're just laughing uncontrollably and a few drops come out, but you can close, you know, close those sphincters and that's it. Mm-hmm. You're probably fine. But if okay. it happens on a regular basis, um, then it it can be an issue. And it's not only a matter of uh, leakage. There are other things. So there's there are people who 
can't sleep at night because they feel they have to get up to go to the bathroom several times. Mm -hmm. They don't get any mm -hmm. good amount of sleep. There are um, people who have frequency. So every 20 minutes, every 45 minutes, they're going to the bathroom. That's a problem because it does change the way you can uh, live your life. If you're one of those people who, and uh, back when we were able to go shopping and go, you know, and do whatever we want to do. Um, mm -hmm. If you're one of those people who knows where the bathrooms are <laughs> along the stops or in every store, you might have an issue. You know, you might mm -hmm. just have an issue. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's not so much incontinence. It's other things. If your urinary tract or your urinary, the way your bladder works is not working for you yeah, and what you okay. want to do, then that's when you want to look at maybe I have an issue. Mm. Mm -hmm. A slight sidebar. Mm -hmm. um, how much can our bladders hold? Your bladder can hold 16 ounces. So it can that's hold quite six. a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. So, um, and the thing that people have to remember about your bladder is that your bladder, uh, there's always urine dripping into your bladder. So people think that, you know, okay, well, you're drinking something, then everything you drink is going to filter and it's going to just fly into your bladder. So you're just going to have this full bladder, like all of a sudden. No, your bladder drip, 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 and it just expands, expands, expands until it gets to a certain um, expansion that triggers your brain that it's mm -hmm. time to empty. So you can set up different habits where if you are always running to the bathroom before you have to go, then you would, that's how sometimes you can set up that frequency where your bladder, then it learns, oh, well, I don't, she doesn't want to wait for 16 ounces. She wants to go every eight. That's <laughs> so like when you potty train your kids, right? Exactly. You're teaching your body signs, right? Cues. And just um just to add for UK listeners, 16 ounces in liquid yes. is 473 milliliters. So just oh. about four fifths of a pint. Um, if people want to imagine their pint of milk in the fridge. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. And that is a lot. Like that is a lot more than I thought. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm happy that you did the conversion because as you know, those of us in America don't mm -hmm. do conversions very quickly <laughs> like that. We just never, I don't know why, but uh, you know, we, we never quite have uh, done the conversions that quickly. So uh, thank you for doing that. But yeah, 16 ounces, it is quite a bit. It, it's, I think it's more than people expect. So when you're going yeah. to the bathroom too, that is just another thing to remember uh, when you're going to the bathroom and you don't have a, a good stream, you know, like you go to the bathroom and it's a couple of seconds and you're done, mm -hmm. you know, that's another um, sign that you probably should not have gone to the bathroom at that time because it was mm -hmm. too soon or that um, your brain bladder function is not um, in sync with mm -hmm, having mm -hmm. you to um, uh, go at the 14 ounces or more. Yeah, because obviously 
it's not as if you drink 16 ounces, all 16 ounces go to your bladder, right? Your body does all the reabsorption and all of that. So it's actually, I can imagine maybe every three, four, five hours, probably is when. Yeah. Yep. It's every three to four hours. That's the norm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't mean mean, that if you don't, if you go every two and a half, that is not your norm because you hmm. do know, you know, people, uh, the, the norms are the average. And then people mm. fall outside of, you know, it on both sides. Yeah. And of course, you know, on a psychological level, I always do this thing of before I leave anywhere, I go to the toilet first. And I think it's just one of these habits, you know, in case there isn't a bathroom, like magically there isn't a bathroom where you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do notice that probably more than half of the times I don't actually have to go. It's a, it's a mental thing that, oh, let me go. It's a bit of a ritual, I think, to go yeah. before I leave home. Yeah, so that's your just-in-case pee, where I have to pee just in case mm-hmm. I might have to pee while yeah. I'm out. Yeah. And that um, actually also becomes a learned behavior. Mm. So if, uh, say, for example, uh, you were going out and you did not have a chance, probably once you started remembering, you would almost focus on that. I hope I don't mm-hmm. have to go to the bathroom because I didn't pee before I left. Yeah. But you know, whether you had to, and you know, whether you have a full bladder or not. So that's mm-hmm. going to be in the back of your mind the whole time. I wonder if I should really go to the bathroom because I didn't, I didn't pee. I should have peed. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and it just goes over and over in your mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course the flip side of that is I know, you know, especially I think kids actually, when you're at school, you're in a class and you're kind of, you kind of hold your pee because you, you don't want to put your hand up. And obviously that's also not good because I'm sure that affects your, again, brain bladder communication. So we've talked about how people find out they have problems. Hey, did you know Embody Me is a one-stop shop virtual wellness studio for busy people like you. You can find hosts, live streaming, yoga, fitness, meditation, breathwork, EFT tapping, moon ceremonies, women's circles, intuitive dance, and so much more, all in one place. Now, if you want to get to your best mental, physical, and spiritual state, sign up now for 20% off your first month with promo code NOTADIET. That's promo code NOTADIET. Sign up today at embodyme.live. Let's talk about treatment because you're going to laugh when I say this, but literally the only thing I can think of when it comes to pelvic health is Kegels, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what everybody talks about. You know, you you have to have a strong floor, right? (laughs) And that is true. It is, that is very true. It goes actually two ways though. You have to have a strong pelvic floor. You also have to have a relaxed pelvic floor. So if for whatever reason, your pelvic floor is not relaxed, you are never going to be able to strengthen it. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, will eventually have problems, uh, you know, or may eventually have problems down the line with, you know, just pelvic pain, uh, just not being able to relax that low um, abdominal discomfort. Mm. But we'll go back to the, to the precious Kegels. (laughs) And I'll tell you the, the, the Kegel story. So, in the clinic, um, you actually test whether or not a person has strong Kegels by using your finger, glove finger in the mm-hmm. vagina. 
So, uh, and you have to feel a squeeze and a lift. So, uh, I would say, I say, okay, well, you know, we're going to test it, give them the instruction. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Let's see what you, you know, what kind of strength you have. I'll see the face like, oh, you know, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Cheeks clenching, knees going together, nothing in the pelvic floor. Yeah. I say, oh, okay, well, um, did you do it? I just did it. Didn't you feel it? <laughs> no, 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 no. So you have to, and that went on for, I would say, probably 90% of the women that I had. And I've done hundreds of, you know, had hundreds of women, of course, over the mm. span of time. Um, so the, um, elusive Kegel (laughs) is really something that, uh, everybody tells you, you have to do, Mm -hmm. but nobody quite tells you how to do it Mm. or what you're supposed to feel or what you're supposed to not feel when Mm -hmm. you're doing. So, yeah. So when you're doing a Kegel, you want to feel, um, of course, like you're, you do feel that squeeze, like you're closing the opening, you know, of your uh, vaginal canal. You're also going to feel some overflow from your, uh, for your, your rectum. Your rectal sphincter is really strong, of course, because it's holding solids. So you're going to do the Kegel, Kegel, feel the squeeze without squeezing your inner thighs, without holding your breath without pulling in your stomach, without clenching your buttocks. So that's a lot to remember. It's a lot to remember, but you Mm -hmm. want to feel that squeeze. And then you want to feel a lift of the muscles. So you actually want to feel like you're lifting something from underneath, you know, right at the tip of your vagina, like you're picking it up and then lifting it up. And that's the key to doing a good Kegel. And would you recommend listeners at home, you know, whatever age, or whatever status they are, to go get some and start doing some? I would. What I would recommend, though, is if you have... So it all depends, because Kegels are, of course, good for everyone, but they're good for everyone if you don't have any other issues. Mm. So say, for example, you are having pain, any kind of pelvic pain. Kegels might not be your best bet. Your best bet might be more relaxation of your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to eventually come around the Kegels, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and we are trying to Kegels is uh, the expression that everybody uses, but we really are trying to change it to, for people to hear the words pelvic floor contraction, Mm. because that's what it is. It's pelvic floor contraction, pelvic floor strengthening. And there is that bucket of muscles that is there that you want to keep strong. Mm. And, and that's at any age, you know, um, 30s and 40s, you want to do it, uh, of course, for continence so that you don't leak. 50s, 60s, 70s, etc. If you've had children, especially if you had several children, you also want to do it to make sure that you're not having any issues with prolapse. That is your organs dropping down, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty common, too. Um, so you want to make sure that you have a strong pelvic floor to mitigate that as much as you possibly can. It doesn't mean that it still might not happen, but with a stronger pelvic floor, the chances are, of course, less. I was going to, I was just about to ask you, like, is the pelvic floor muscle? You know, you talk about strengthening it and it also having to be relaxed. 
yeah, the pelvic floor, there are muscles in the pelvic floor. I'll put it that way. Right. So the muscles in the pelvic floor, there are actually three layers of muscles. Mm-hmm. So, um, and each layer does a different function. The reason I'm gonna, why... Sorry, I'm going to ask a stupid question, but where yeah. is the floor? <laughs> so in my mind, right, at an anatomy level, obviously we've all learned, you know, you've got your ovaries and then your ducts and then you're coming into, you know, the, the canal and then the opening of your vagina. But where is this floor that we're talking about? Pelvis is... Um, so when you hear this, and she's going to have a picture for you to see, um, so your pelvis is going to sit here, but when you look inside your pelvis, there are muscles and the muscles mm. are what sits right on the bottom. Um, they, they surround the openings of your vagina, your rectum. So those are where your sphincters are okay. to close it. That's a muscle, you know, it doesn't, won't close just I to see. be closing. It's not a door. So it'll be closing. That's your sphincter. You have a layer of muscles that holds the outside structures where they're supposed to be. So, um, your, so that the outside doesn't drop. So that keeps everything in place. And then the muscles that are way up into the pelvic floor, and they're really close. They're like layers. It's one on top of each other, but the ones that's further into the interior of your body, those are ones that support and hold those structures. So it'll hold your, um, rectum in the back. It'll hold your, um, the tube for your bladder where it's supposed to be. It'll hold your um, uh, uterus and your uh, vaginal canal in place. Mm. So, yeah. And they're connected to uh, ligaments that connect into your pelvic, your pelvis, your actual bone. Got it. (laughs) I had to ask because it's, it's such a vague thing to imagine. Very much so because uh, if you don't look at any anatomy books or anything, why would you even think, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't, and especially that's a good question because if you don't know where they are, what are you strengthening? Yeah. What Kegel are you doing? You know, that's just arbitrary squeeze. And that's why we get so many people who squeeze um, inner thigh abdominals because you can squeeze the muscles around and get mm. muscle overflow and it'll mm. feel like you're, you know, squeezing and doing something. You're yeah. just not hitting the muscles that you need to hit. Cool. So before we finish, I actually want to invite you to give our listeners three actionable tips around having better pelvic health. Three actionable tips. Yes. Tip number one is to be aware first of your pelvic floor and be aware of if it is not functioning the way it should. And the, um, one of the main things is to look out for is, um, does it wake you up at night where you feel you have to go to the bathroom? Because you shouldn't. One time is acceptable, right? Because, you know, you know, and if you know if you drink or whatever, some things are natural bladder irritants. So if you drink whatever, that, you know, what might have you get up a little bit more. So uh, the second thing is if you notice any bladder leaks, try to address it early. So don't be like the average Um, person of waiting that five to seven years. If you address it early instead of later, you can uh, mitigate the problem a lot sooner. And the third one, the third slash fourth one is to do exercise your pelvic floor 
exercise it by doing if you can't um, really begin to do Kegels the way uh, I explained uh, just keep practicing there are a lot of things on YouTube there's a lot of classes there's a lot of ways that you can learn how to do a good Kegel so you want to be sure to um, do Kegels and you also want to be sure to do pelvic relaxation and that is really diaphragmatic breathing relaxing into your pelvis feeling your pelvic floor relax that's great i think i really hope listeners you know whatever age you are really start looking into this because to be honest before i connected with you i didn't think about this at all because i just kind of assumed you know don't have kids Mm -hmm. i'm not older I don't have to worry about this. You know, I fully assign this just to those two prototypes, basically, of people. Ah, So now that we've spoken, Mm -hmm. I will pay attention. And probably the next time I have, you know, like a feminine health check, you know, also make sure everything's checked up. Um, So my final question, which is my favorite question for all my guests, is what food always takes you to your happy place? Um, Believe it or not... And um, I can't have them that often is French fries. I love French fries. I now make them in an air fryer, so I don't fry anything. Of course, I don't eat any fried food. And that's still fine with me. I just love French fries. So how that could be the, I'm in my happy place. And that's it for this episode of Neighborhood Nutritionist. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and I hope you've really enjoyed it and learned something you can take away with you today. If you could take a second to share this episode with one person you think will love it, that would be absolutely amazing. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you're listening now. See you soon.